Fakes the handoff. He drives the lane. He takes it to the house. Bouncing off defenders. He just laid it in. He just put it up and in. 56 seconds to play. Oh, by the way. It's time. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Game 7 is over. It's an instant classic. It's the T.C. Martin Show. A three for the game. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. You've got to pinch me. The doctor is now in. And glad to have you with us here on this magnificent or manic Monday. Take your pick. I guess it depends on what you're a fan of. If you're a fan of the Phoenix Suns, the Milwaukee Bucks, definitely a manic Monday. Magnificent? If you like the National Hockey League, and you like Game 7s, that was entertaining, right? On Saturday and Sunday. Manic, if you're a Golden Knights fan. Or maybe Magnificent, if you're happy with the dismissal of Peter DeBoer. Yes, a lot to cover here today. Glad to have you with us. T.C. Martin Show, of course, streaming live, coast-to-coast, border-to-border, wherever you may be, tcmartinshow.com. Today on the program, yes, lining it up for you. We talk NBA playoffs. The big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright, joins us. Disgusted, dismayed over the Phoenix Suns' performance last night. Dreadful. Ah, downright awful. Big seven-footer will join us this hour as we talk NBA. That ought to be entertaining as well, too. Who knows what else we'll cover on the menu Next hour, Gary Lawless joins us, the Vegas Golden Knights insider. Of course, you hear Gary as the uh, analyst on the radio side on the VGK broadcast. And, of course, uh, a great insider on the television side. Gary Lawless joins us today as we talk about the dismissal of Peter DeBoer. Yes, the Golden Knights have made a coaching change for the second time in three seasons. We had talked about this. Could this happen? When will the dominoes start flowing? And it flowed about uh, a week and a half after the season ended. And after owner Bill Foley, GM Kelly McCrimmon, George McPhee all got together and they said, yes, we need to make some household changes. And it starts with the head coach, Peter DeBoer. The Golden Knights dismissed Peter DeBoer earlier today. The Golden Knights, as we all know, missed the playoffs for the first time in franchise history. Reasons? Injuries, yes. You can say that. We've talked about that. But that is not the only reason why the Golden Knights uh, did not make the playoffs this year. Yes, they lost 550 man games, if you like to say, with Mark Stone losing 45 of those, and then the laundry list, which we've talked about uh, time and time again. But no, this team did not play well down the stretch. And it's one thing when you have injuries, you're not going to get rid of a head coach if it's just injury-based. But let's be honest. I know those guys were still hurting. They're coming back. Fine. But the Golden Knights basically had a full roster the final month of the season. They did not play well down the stretch. Their final record was 43 up. 31 down, 8 draws, a total of 94 points. Yeah, 31 losses, 12 games over 500. Not good enough. Not good enough for the Golden Knights. Especially when your first four seasons, you've been in the postseason, and you've had just, you've had 
deep thoughts and aspirations to win the Stanley Cup. Now, sure, you could say the franchise is a little bit jaded because no one knew what to expect in 2018, and you make it to the Stanley Cup Finals, but everything fell into place. You get Marc-Andre Fleury. You get a bunch of misfits that just say, hey, it's us against the world mentality. And we've talked about that story a lot over the years, and that's great. It was a great story. But where the Golden Knights went wrong was when they started to get rid of some of the Golden Misfits. They wanted to improve their team, and they did not think that they could you know, basically do that same thing that they did in 2018 with the same group. They said, you know, now we've got name, we got name recognition. We have other free agents that want to come to Vegas. They saw what we did here. There are a lot of naysayers. A lot of people thought like, oh, you know, Vegas, you know, hockey in Vegas isn't going to work. They were all wrong. 2018 was a magical season. Just magical for the Golden Knights. Phenomenal. Just outstanding. And then what happens? You fall a little bit on your expectations. You have some weird luck goals that go against you, and you get rid of Gerard Gallant. All right? You got rid of Gerard Gallant probably too prematurely. And now what has happened? Gerard Gallant stays out a season or two. And he's in the playoffs right now with his new team, the New York Rangers, who, by the way, won an exciting Game 7 yesterday. So Peter DeBoer is out. Wasn't a popular choice when he got here because he came from the hated San Jose Sharks. Kelly McCrimmon said this today. We would like to thank Peter DeBoer for his commitment to the Vegas Golden Knights over the past three seasons. Since joining the organization, Pete and his staff have guided us through some of the most unique and challenging circumstances we've witnessed since our franchise entered the NHL. After lengthy discussions over the last two weeks, we believe that a new coach will put us in the best position to succeed next season. Translation means he wasn't right for the job. Wasn't right. They reached on this. Said it then. Said it now. I know a lot of the media members... Did not really care for Peter DeBoer. I didn't didn't have a problem with him personally. Never really got a chance to know him personally. He was one of those kind of standoffish guys. Gerard Gallant I liked because I just liked what he stood for, his attitude. And if, and I got to spend a lot more time with Gerard Gallant than I did Peter DeBoer one-on-one time. And I liked Gerard. He was just a, a good guy. He wore his emotions on his sleeves. Peter DeBoer didn't look like he was wearing any sleeves. You didn't You didn't know what was happening with him. And again, he was an outsider. Coming in from the San Jose Sharks. And I say they hated, the dreaded, but that's the the way that rivalry aspired, you know, since the beginning of this franchise five years ago. And then you brought one guy in, like, okay, you know, the San Jose Sharks beat the Golden Knights on a couple fluky things. They decided to get rid of Gerard Gallant. They overreacted. And then Peter DeBoer got fired. And there's a reason why he got fired. The Golden Knights didn't pluck Peter DeBoer from the Sharks and say, hey, come here, this is a better situation. No, he was let go. He was fired. And if the Golden Knights, and I'm saying they didn't, but if they would, someone would have done a better job of doing their homework, like why he was let go, was it locker room chaos? Was it differences in philosophies with ownership or the general manager? Or was he just not getting the team to play well and go deep into the postseason? And you can make that argument, I mean, looking back, that the Sharks were a pretty darn good team, and they underachieved. 
And a lot of Vegas Golden Knights fans felt like, well, Pierre DeBoer, that's the Sharks' leftovers. Why are we getting him? And again, we understand. And I think you know maybe fans who were new to hockey, new to professional sports, because this was the first go-around here in Las Vegas, they were very excited about hockey coming to Vegas. Had no idea how successful the Golden Knights would be. And then when you had that immediate success, and you think, wow, this is, this is a special group. And it was a special group. All of those guys, like I said, just had the mindset of, we were let go by our other teams. Let's start fresh. And the Golden Knights broke up that group. Upper management broke up that group. And they probably didn't need to do that. And I understand when you get a chance to get guys like Max Pacioretty or Mark Stone and, you know, some high-priced free agents, Jack Eichel this past year, okay, I understand that. You want to improve. But let's make no mistake, this franchise was going backwards the moment that they said goodbye to Gerard Gallant. Not saying that's the only reason, but when you get rid of your first head coach in franchise history who went to the Stanley Cup Finals his first season – he has to get a longer rope, right? Has to get a longer leash than he did. That was the beginning of it for the Golden Knights. So for the second time in three years, the Golden Knights made a coaching change. DeBoer was the second coach in Vegas Golden Knights history, 2019-2020, after Coach Gerard Gallant was let go after two seasons. DeBoer had a record of 98, 50, and 12 in his three seasons with the Knights. Led the Knights to the conference final in 2020. The playoffs, you know, went went there in 2021, but failing to make the Stanley Cup finals in both seasons, that is underachieving as far as Bill Foley is concerned. Bill Foley had this quote. He said, we lost a little personality in the past few years due to the roster moves necessitated by the salary cap. Our goal is to get back to this identity of never giving up, never giving in, and being a team. I believe we did move away from that identity somewhat with all the changes that have been made and the constant machinations. That's what Bill Foley said. I'd say we're going to be a team now that we're ready, aim, fire. Because not ready, fire, aim. We're going to be careful. That's a big priority for me, and I'm going to be involved in it. So here's a translation with that, what Bill Foley's trying to say. He wasn't directly involved. Remember when Gerard Gallant was let go? We wanted to know whose decision that was, and we don't know whose decision it was. We believe that Bill Foley said, I got to listen to George McPhee. I got to listen to my general manager. I got to listen to Kelly McCrimmon. I'm paying these guys to do their job. I'm not going to be one of these Jerry Jones type of owners that just pulls the trigger on just what I think goes. But I'll say this. Bill Foley, he's a great businessman. He's a great guy. Fun guy. Uh, wears his emotions on his sleeves type of guy. I remember talking to him and had him on the show the day after the Golden Knights were eliminated by the Sharks. He was in tears during that conversation and it hurt. So, but he believes in the process. And that process is hiring good people to make good decisions. He's not going to step on their toes. But what Bill Foley is saying right here is that we lost a little personality. That tells me right there that that's the Golden Misfits he's talking about. 
Those guys had personality. We lost a little personality in the past few years due to roster moves. Necessity by the salary cap. When Marc-Andre Fleury was let go and they opted for Robin Leonard instead of Marc-Andre Fleury, we wondered how much of that was George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon or was it Bill Foley? And Foley came out and said that he wanted to keep Marc-Andre. He said it. Now, in retrospect, maybe he regrets that. Not just because of, you know, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, went to the playoffs again with the Wild, but, you know, he, he didn't have a great a great season, but he wasn't with a great team. I mean, the Chicago Blackhawks, are, they were a mess. But Fleury was still good enough to beat the Golden Knights this past season as a member of the Blackhawks at T-Mobile Arena. But you just wonder, in retrospect, knowing what you know now about Robin Leonard, you know, Having issues staying healthy, having some mental health issues, which everyone knows about, those are those are big. But you can't go back now. He says our goal is to get back to this identity of never giving up, never giving in, and being a team. What is he referring to? 2018, 2019. That's what he's referring to. Having that mindset is... We might not have the best hockey players on the ice or on this roster, but they never gave up. They never gave in, and they were the true essence of a team. And it's hard to get that back when you have good chemistry. And it's not like the Golden Knights just had good chemistry. They had goal scores. They had tremendous defense. They converted on the power play. But when you start reaching for superstars, and we've seen it in other sports, we've seen it in the NBA, right? <laughs> We've seen it with every team LeBron James has been on. You want to try to pick and choose some of the, you know, the best all-stars in the league who maybe aren't happy with their current home. You saw that with Jack Eichel. Maybe you saw it with Max Pacioretty. And then you gave up on some young guys, too, that have turned out to be pretty good. Just look at the, the trade with Montreal. So, you know, with Suzuki. Bill Foley. There's a lot there if you dive into that. And I'm going to reach out to Bill Foley and try to get him on this week as well, too. So Gary Lawless is going to join us today. We're going to talk with him next hour regarding his thoughts about the Golden Knights. Gary doesn't sugarcoat it. Yeah, he's an employee of the team. But, you know, like a lot of us guys, when you're employees of certain teams, sometimes, yeah, you have to be careful what you say, but you have to continue to keep your integrity and to tell it like it is. I'd say we're going to be a team now that we're ready, aim, fire. You like that old army, you know, military, you know, uh, slogan there like that. Not ready, fire, aim. Look what he's saying there. It's like, yeah, okay, we had the gun. We're firing before we thought about it. This is a direct shot at management. Plain and simple. It's a direct shot at management. I'm not trying to stir anything up here with Golden Knights management. Love those guys. We want the Golden Knights to win. But these quotes are, are, are pointing the finger at, at that. It's like, okay, we made some rash decisions. We basically dis, you know, dismissed chemistry to go for superstar players. We didn't have that fire in our eyes, didn't have the hunger. When you say this time it's going to be ready, aim, fire, that means you're making calculated decisions. 
we're not going to ready, fire, aim. It says right there. You're hasty with your decisions. Next sentence, what does he say? We're going to be careful. That's a big priority to me. And here's the last thing about Bill Foley. He says, it's a big priority for me, and I'm going to be involved in it. Good for you, Bill Foley. You should be involved in it. You own the team. You were the one that brought hockey to Vegas. You were the one that was behind all of this ingenious marketing. You got to hire a coach. You got to hire a general manager. You got to hire a president. We get that. But you are paying the bills, and you should have the right to veto something that you don't believe in. And again, Bill Foley, why did he decide to get into the hockey business? Because he's a hockey guy. He likes hockey. He didn't decide to own a baseball team or a basketball team. He wanted to own a hockey team because he had passion for that and felt like, hey, he's got a little experience with this. No, he wasn't a you know, a high-ranked player or n- none of that. But he's a smart guy. Why did he get involved in the wine business? I think because he likes wine and probably knows wine. Probably it. Interesting thoughts there from Bill Foley, Kelly McCrimmon. And when you look at, at what Kelly McCrimmon says compared to Bill Foley, what's the difference in this? Bill Foley has passion, heart, checkbook attached to all this, right? We get that. Kelly McCrimmon is just giving us the same verbiage. We'd like to thank Peter DeBoer for his commitment to the Vegas Golden Knights over the past three seasons. Since joining the organization, Pete and his staff has guided us through some most unique and challenging circumstances. Those are making excuses. That's all that is. Which begs the question, is Kelly McCrimmon next? Some people think so. Could be. But it always starts with the coach. Kansas City Royals today fired their batting coach. Their hitting instructor, hitting coach. Terry Bradshaw, by the way, is his name. Not that Terry Bradshaw, of course. Didn't know Terry Bradshaw knew anything about hitting. Well, apparently this Terry Bradshaw doesn't either. But you, Go ahead and shake if you like. <laughs> but here's the, here's the correlation here. The Royals' ownership loves Mike Matheny. Mike Matheny, good manager with the Cardinals, left there, goes to Kansas City, <laughs> And they're not going to fire Mike Matheny right now. Scapegoat! Uh, hitting coach. We stink right now. We stink. All right. Bill Foley's not going to fire Kelly McCrimmon right now. We know they're close. That sort of thing. Probably didn't believe in Peter DeBoer. There's nothing wrong with saying that. That's evident. Because many of us thought that when they hired DeBoer, right? We thought that. Gerard Gallant, why are you letting him go? Something behind closed doors, argument, maybe multi-arguments. I don't know. Bottom line was, was he a better coach than Pierre DeBoer? Absolutely yes. Yes. Absolutely yes, he was. Because Gerard Gallant got a job with the New York Rangers, and this team stunk too. They weren't very good. But what did he do? Guided this team to respectability again. In the toughest media market there is, playing at the Garden and the New York Rangers, and you know what Gerard Gallant did? He brought the Rangers back to back to life. And they won in Game 7 yesterday. Tell me they're not fired up in New York City, in Manhattan, 
all across for the New York Rangers, seeing the red, white, and blue, right? It's cool. It's very cool. Happy for him. Yeah. Garden alive. Sure not alive with the New York Knicks. We know that. (laughs) Somebody's got to be good in that building besides, you know, the old WWF. I said that. The WWF. Those are the days. Monday night. Are you kidding me? Yeah! What? (laughs) Yeah. Knicks, no good. Wrestling, good. World Championship Boxing, good. Rangers back, good. It's good to see that at the Garden. I like that. All right. Now, several high-profile coaches are available. Oh, it's, it's very interesting. Very interesting now. So the New York Islanders, speaking of New York, on the other side there, fired Barry Trotz. Barry Trotz, you remember, coached the Washington Capitals. Coached him to the Cup. Who'd they beat? By the championship, of course, they beat the Golden Knights. How about this one? How weird of a pattern would this be if Bill Foley hired Barry Trotz? You know where I'm going with this? All right? The pattern would be the Vegas Golden Knights hired Peter DeBoer after San Jose eliminated the Golden Knights in the playoffs. Immediately. Then he, well, he was fired, of course, but they went and got him because hey, he, he beat us. How about you go hire Barry Trotz because the Washington Capitals defeated the Golden Knights in the Stanley Cup Finals three years ago, four years ago. How about that? Hmm. Could happen. Barry Trotz is available. Interesting candidate. Claude Julian won the Cup with the Boston Bruins. He's available. Paul Maurice, 775 career wins. He's available. Mike Babcock. Won a cup with the Toronto uh, Maple Leafs 2019-2020, right? Maple Leafs. He was there. So, interesting choices. So, does Bill Foley now go with a proven entity, proven commodity, or does he go maybe the young route? It'll be interesting to see which way he goes. But whatever he decides, you know what he's going to do? He's going to take his time, and he is going to be involved in it. That's what he said. It's a big priority for me, and I'm going to be involved in it. Translation, Bill Foley is saying that he hasn't been involved. He's let other people make these decisions for him. So for Golden Knights fans, let's get back to 2018, 2019. Let's get back to that. That'd be nice. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. It can happen. They have better players now. They do. But the chemistry is not there. And you need a head coach that can come in here and get these troops together. And you have an owner that admittedly has made a mistake and said, maybe I wasn't involved as I should have been. I let other people make these decisions. Well, and and I know Bill Foley. He's going to, you know, seek wisdom, not only from... George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon, but other people outside of this organization who he trusts as well, too. And and I'm sure he probably did that when he hired Peter DeBoer. So the Golden Knights, again, dismissed Peter DeBoer. Golden Knights missed the playoffs for the first time in franchise history. And uh, the offseason has been underway for the Golden Knights for the past few weeks. We'll see which direction they go. And will there be any other players that will be 
either let go or traded or see what the Golden Knights do in free agency. But they still got to get these cap issues underway. Speaking of the NHL, the Rangers and Jordan Gallant, they defeat the Pittsburgh Penguins 4-3 in overtime yesterday. What a bunch of Game 7s yesterday and, and over the weekend. We had seven Game 7s this weekend in the NBA and NHL. Seven between the two leagues. Most in single in a single weekend in the history. In the history. Seven Game 7s. Now, the hockey games were much better than the NBA Game 7s. I mean, it wasn't even close. Rangers beat the Penguins. Excitement galore, 4-3. Calgary defeats Dallas in overtime, 3-2. Phenomenal game. And congratulations to the Flames for that. On Saturday, you had two one-goal games and then a two-goal game. Carolina eliminated the Boston Bruins, 3-2. Tampa Bay... Barely gets by the Maple Leafs. 2-1. They advance on. And Edmonton defeats the Kings. They shut them out 2-0. But all of those games, exciting. Down to the wire. And again, two overtime games. Game 7s yesterday. And the NBA, on the other hand, dreadful. Downright dreadful. Awful basketball by the Phoenix Suns yesterday. Dreadful. Team got drill pressed not only yesterday in game seven, but in game six as well, too. And then you had the Milwaukee Bucks. They started off very fast, couldn't maintain it. Boston Celtics took over midway through the first half. Bucks were night night, but nothing as disastrous as what we saw in the Phoenix Suns. We're going to dive into that with a big seven footer, Big Bill Cartwright, who is disgusted, he's displeased. He is embarrassed for his sport, and I love that about him because he'll tell it like it is. What we saw last night was despicable. We'll get the seven-footer's thoughts on the NBA playoffs next. Get wrecked with the Dr. T.C. Martin. The NBA playoffs continue. Not a pretty sight in Phoenix. Disgusting. The doldrums. Oh, yeah. What are they talking about, the Phoenix Suns, today? The big seven-footer. I hope he has some thoughts. The five-time NBA champ because we never saw performances like that from his Chicago Bulls or anybody that we know of. Big Bill Cartwright joins us now. What's up, seven-footer? Well, you know, and, and let's think about that. Now, you should be as happy as, as you've ever been and as sad as, as you've ever been. Because over, over the years, we've always talked about the fact that there is just predictability in the NBA. We, we knew it was going to be in the finals. Man, hold on. I'm just enjoying some Curtis Mayfield right now. I mean, this was the perfect rejoiner of this this anger and being disgusted. Pump it up, Numchuck. We got a little Curtis Mayfield going here. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, seven-footer. Yeah. Just, it's, when I hear this, I'm like pumping my fist. I'm just getting angry. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay, go ahead, man. Excited to add that. It's a great song. The Hell Below, man. Curtis Mayfield. 
I know you. I know it's no chubby checker for you, but come on, man. You know about those New York City streets. You lived it. You were there. You played it. <laughs> not, not quite that way. No, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> well, it's, uh, anyway, but, all right, but you but, know but, Phoenix too. Saying, you coach there. Anyway, go no, ahead, man. Go. No, ahead. Sorry I, to interrupt. I'm you. just saying, you, you should be happy. You, you should be happy because you, at one one point in time, complained about so much predictability and and, and the lack of this parity in the league. Now you have no clue who's going to win, <laughs> and neither that you you don't even know if these guys the game could be over in the third quarter. Yeah, right. Because, because more than any time, it may be NBA history, we have no freaking clue what's going to happen. Maybe it's because of these teams now, how they play, they're so one-dimensional. Maybe the fact that they can fall down and get hurt at the drop of a hat. Uh, we don't know. So we don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. And it's it's really bizarre because... Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, now they, they can lose. And Phoenix, they can lose. But I don't know. I, I can't remember. And maybe you you can. Think of a time where you're playing a seventh game and, and the game's basically over at the end of the third quarter. Can you think of a time where the games haven't even been competitive in the second half? Wait, wait, wait. Time out. Time out. Third quarter? How about the first quarter, twenty-seven to seventeen? I don't know about you, but I'm watching that and looking at the body language of the Phoenix Suns. Okay, so let's let's break this down. You say the third quarter, this game yesterday. Okay, with the Phoenix Suns and the Dallas Mavericks, never a game underline never. Okay, this thing was twenty-seven to seventeen at the end of the first. It was forty-seven to twenty-seven at halftime. 20 points done. 92 to 50 at the end of the third. They're down 42. I mean, it got progressively worse. And the first shots that we see coming out of the locker room in the second half, we see Phoenix miss, Dallas make it, DeAndre Ayton goes to the free throw line, 0 for 2. That's it. Turn off the TV. Literally, that's when I turned off the TV. I don't even know why I hung with it. Beyond the half, because I said, okay, can they go on this run? Nothing showed me that they could go on a run at any point in time of this game. And I know it's only 10 at halftime, but when you when you throw a 17 on the board and you've you know, missed like six, eight shots in a row and you see the body language, yeah, this thing was over, literally over, midway through the second, I would say. Well, I was going to give them an opportunity, even though they were down big numbers. I was hoping they could come back, have that much in the third quarter. But but we, we never saw a whisper of that either. So, um, which is bizarre because you, you used to be, and I'll tell you, just, you know, the truth is, is that in that kind of a game, if the team's got down, now the game's going to get real physical. It's going to get really personal. But we never saw any signs of anybody upset. We didn't see any signs of anybody getting more physical. It's not like we got a bunch of tees on the floor and guys were ready to throw down or do anything. We just saw we just saw teams just kind of playing it out. Nah, I don't have it. The season's over. Yeah, you know what? So, and we saw Luka Donich laughing. 
I mean, he was scoring so easily, Bill, in the low block or wherever he wanted. And you see him running back down court, just laughing. DeAndre Ayton says, when, when's my flight out of here? Let me get the heck out of here. Oh, that's right. He's a West Coast guy. Lives in Zer- so he just wanted to go home, period. But And then Chris Paul just, you know, hanging his head. No life whatsoever. And let me tell you, let me ask you. I mean, you you've never been in that situation before, but what do you say? As a head coach, you know, burning timeouts or, you know, whatever. If you're Monty Williams, I mean, he said nothing. What do you say to your guys in game seven? G- give me some verbiage. What do you tell these guys when you start to feel that it's going south? Okay, it's 10 at the end of one. Now it's 20 at halftime. W- what words do you use? Or do you just say white flag? Well, you know, all you can do is, is you know, you can change your defenses. You can try to pick it up a little bit and pick up the tempo. Uh you can change your lineup. Uh, you can go zone. Um, but uh, we, we didn't see any of that. So I, I don't know. This, this is a different beast for me and, and for guys of our era. This is, you know, how you react to those kind of situations is different. So um, for that to happen, uh, like I said, we'd be very upset. Very upset. At least the lineup would change to where it would be more physical. It would be very, very difficult to uh, to, to play in that kind of a game. But uh, that that just didn't happen, and it's just the nature of the beast. It's it's it, it's not who the NBA is right now. It's, it's not who they want to be. So, um, you know, we got uh, we 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 all got surprised. Uh, not necessarily because they lost, but maybe how they lost. Right. So, um, you know, because those those are two both really good basketball teams. They've got both really good players, and and this and this is how you get beat in in, in a big game. So, I I can't recall. Can you recall seeing this before? No. This, this is this, this is bizarre. This is what I want to ask you. Okay, and I'm going to set it up with this. So this just wasn't Game 7. Remember, the home team won every game, and they won several games by 20 and 30 points, right? Game 6. So Phoenix says, okay, we don't have it tonight. At least we got Game 7 home. I'm telling you, Bill, everybody that I know, and especially a lot of professional bettors, they were all in on the Phoenix Suns. Said, nah, I mean, this is easy. No problem. Forget Game 6. We're all in. And the books cleaned up. And we're going to talk to Chuck Esposito next hour specifically about that, so, so hang tight for that. But in Game 6 in Dallas, Dallas won 113-86. to Now they go into Game 7, and you could just see the body language with the Suns at the beginning of that game. Like, there was this hangover. It's like they forgot that it was just one game and it was on the road. Now they're back at home, and they got a chance to erase this and, and go forward. And I don't think that they were looking ahead to the Warriors. Oh, we got this. We won every game at home rather handily. No, it just seemed like they looked at it like we have this hangover that Dallas really pummeled us, and we don't know how to respond. The Phoenix Phoenix got outscored. Listen to this. 236 to 176 in game six and seven. 236 to 176 in the two most important games of the series. So, this is the question I have for you. You asked me if I've ever seen anything like it. I, I can't recall it. No. But for you, as a player in those Bulls championship teams, 
Was there ever a game where you guys got blown out and what happened the next game? I guarantee you, you didn't have back-to-back performances like that. You probably didn't have back-to-back losses. They were probably narrow losses. But do you ever recall in your history with those teams that what happened after you had a blowout loss? Yeah, I know exactly. Uh, and no, we've never had a, a, a loss like that where we've been down that big because nobody has to say anything. Nobody has to say one word. Uh, the, the only thing you have to do is, is get on the plane and get yourself ready for uh, shoot around or practice the next day. Everybody knows that that is a personal loss, and that's how that, and that's how it's going to be treated. And in your next game, you know that you are going to bring your best mental, physical effort to this game to make your intent to win this basketball game. Now, I was fortunate when I was in Chicago is that we normally won all those games, regardless, regardless of where Michael was here or not. Because our intent was to win this basketball game on a, on a mental and physical level. And it's it's a different mindset then than it is now. Guys don't play with that kind of a mindset to go in and physically attack somebody. The only team that's really close to doing that is probably Boston. And those guys will talk about it. They'll, they'll talk about how aggressive they're going to be. They're going to play with everything they have. Uh, they've got they've got their own big scores, but but look, they. That team, besides Tatum, they don't have any super duper star. They got effort guys. That's why we should really like this team because those guys, those guys, they they, they talk it and they walk it. And those guys have from the start of the season when when things weren't working out so well, and they hadn't found their identity to who they are. Boom! Once they found it, they're just gonna—they're just gonna play harder than you. They're gonna guard you. They're gonna get up on you, and they're gonna attack you. Wow! This team has really played really well. So, um, you know, this next two matches—I I, I like it. I know everybody's taking it, but uh, I like Miami too because Miami's gonna play hard. They've got their stars, and they've got—they've got a better bench. With with that kid Hero and um that gives them I can't pronounce it. Which oh I, anyway, I'll come back to that. Okay. But anyway, I just I just like their their, their bench too. So that's gonna be a great matchup as well as, as as the Warriors of Dallas. Now let's talk about this too. You know, we we should understand that the teams that play really well and do really well are the teams that have built themselves up, overcome adversity, hung in, and actually have have played better during the end of the season than they have to start. And and, and looking at these teams, all four of these teams have done that. They've 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 had adversity, they've had injury, 
um, probably the team that's overcome it the most has been Dallas, and and they're they're just they're just peaking. They're, they're peaking right now. They're playing really well. So we'll we'll give some credit to that too. The fact that these guys are playing well. Um, no, they get so, they, they get credit. You probably, I think you're probably referring to Victor Oladipo. Is that who you're referring to for Miami? Depot, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah guard, I, guard I, from I, India. I yeah, he's played well off the bench. You're right. Yep. Yeah, he's he's been terrific, and this guy's been a starter most of his career. Correct. Yep. And then got injured and uh, came all the way back. So uh, um, these these <laughs> we're gonna hope that these games are going to be incredibly competitive and not what we've seen so far because these teams, I think, they'll fight. These teams will fight all, all the way to the end. That's what we're hoping. Yeah, that's what we're hoping for. The big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright, joins us uh, five NBA championships, three as a player, two as a coach with the Chicago Bulls. You know, these conference finals, uh, again, too many blowouts. And, and the thing about it is we've talked about this during the course of the year where – it's been a strange season. We've had too many blowout losses. We've had we're questioning players' efforts. The style of play has driven us nuts with these three happy teams and virtually no defense. And you're right. Boston has shown that they can play defense. But Boston is another one of these teams. I mean, look how many three-pointers that they put up yesterday. That's not Boston's identity. I mean, in, in Milwaukee, we talked about before, Milwaukee's going to live by the three, die by the three. Boston, live by the three, die by the three in this, in, in this series. And it went seven games, and Boston lived by it. They won by it in game seven, and Milwaukee was dreadful again. So it wouldn't surprise me, Bill, again, if, if we do have you know, some more of these blowouts just because every one of these teams is so reliant on the three-point shot, that it all all of them could to, to, uh, turn in five for thirty-five performances from beyond the arc, and we're probably going to see it unfortunately again. Well, I'm just I'm just hoping that these teams have realized that that one-dimensional type of play is just not going to fly. So we're going to hopefully we're going to see teams uh, maybe trying to throw the ball in the post a little bit, maybe looking to drive the ball a little more. Maybe even looking to get to the ball to the to the elbow so they can attack from a from a, a really good position. Uh, if they don't have it going, because look, there's nothing wrong with shooting threes. There's, there, there isn't. But my thing is that let's say you let's say you you miss one three, you miss two, you miss three. Okay, that's it. That's your number. Now you know that you should be attacking the basket. Right? Because sometimes you don't have it going from out there. Okay. We can't, we can't watch a basketball game where five, six, seven, eight, nine missed threes. That's insane. Okay, let me ask you a question, okay? Without looking it up, I know the answer to this. How many threes did Boston attempt? How many three-point shots did the Celtics attempt yesterday? Take a guess. What do you think? You watched the game. I, 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 no, I watched some of the games. Okay. Right. Yeah, I did the second half. And, and I, I turned off uh, the Phoenix Dallas game a lot earlier. But really, what do, what do, you, what do you think? So, so I, I have no idea. I, I, I couldn't imagine. And it scares me to think about it. Right. Now, okay. Now, you're probably going to fall over when I tell you because you're talking about, and you're right. 
You're right. They're a gritty team, the Celtics are, and they can D you up and they can get physical. But like I said, they're a jump-shooting three-point team and they can get blown out any given night. They put up 55 threes. They hit 22 of them. Insane. This, what is this? 22 of 55, this, that's, like, that's like a season total way back in the day. I mean, come on. In Milwaukee? They put up 33, Bill, and you know I just said off the top of my head, hey, don't be surprised if we get you know one of these five for 35 things, right? And people can say, well, that's pretty ludicrous. They were four for 33. That's exactly what the Bucks were yesterday. They connected on four of 33 in 48 minutes of basketball in a game seven when you've got Giannis, the most probably undefendable guy in the low block, and you're putting up 33 threes. So combined, my friend, we do the math. This is insane. 88 three-pointers in one basketball game. Oh, by the way, it was a game seven. Seriously. If people yeah. if people can't comprehend what world we're in right now, then you have no idea. You never watched basketball in the 70s or the 80s or the mm-hmm. 90s or even the early 2000s. When I tell you that, the Chicago Bulls against the Lakers, the Chicago Bulls against the Utah Jazz, or those Eastern Conference battles with the Chicago Bulls and the Detroit Pistons, 88 threes? What are you thinking right now? You're thinking you're you're insane. Well, no, you're, you're thinking you're watching modern-day basketball. And look, <laughs> look, it, it, because people ask me this all the time, you know, what do you think about all those three-point shots? What do you think about the fact that there's, there's – not a lot of post ups. What do you what do you think? And this is what I think. I think I think it's modern basketball. And I think that um if my coach, my first coach in the NBA, Ren Holtzman, if if he was here, he would <laughs> probably throw up. <laughs> and, and definitely he he couldn't believe it because <laughs> to us it's irresponsible. Those are irresponsible shots. That's that's a that's not a very well, it's not a balanced offense. It's not a diverse offense. It does if if it's not working, what do you do? And and that's what you're seeing because it's so imbalanced, because it's so one sided, and they're so counting on three point shots that when it's not going, those teams are going to struggle or they're going to get blown out. That's it. And it's just, and it's just, and it's just too bad that that thing, that thing is going on right now because it makes bad basketball for us. You know, we don't. You know, it's going to be like, oh yeah, another old guy. He's mad about. Uh, they're not doing things like they used to do in the old days. Yeah, I'm not buying and, that. Yeah. No, no, no. That's yeah, it's, yeah. It, and that's and that's and, and, and maybe so, but I know irresponsibility when I see it. Right. I know what a bad shot is when I see it. I know, or better yet, I know what a better shot is. And it's almost like you don't know what a better is. Now think, I want you to think about this. These guys are playing, and I'm not going to say everybody, but most of them. They're trying to get you to believe that shooting, it's, it's better to shoot from 25 feet than it is from five feet. It's easier to score from 25 feet than it is from five feet. And I got to tell you, 
I'm, I'm not so sure they're right because these guys can't score inside anymore. They don't do it very often. And when they get in there, they really struggle. So I, I, I like you. I don't know what to make out of this. I don't pretend to, to, to understand the lack of diversity and this offensive theme that they have going. And this, to me, this lack of creativity. Um, if you've watched hand, European handball, European handball, <laughs> this is what our, no, I'm not kidding. Yeah. This is what the offense is like. Or if you were a kid and you went to the uh, uh, Sacramento Auditorium when the Globetrotters were in town and Curly Neal was there and they would do the Globetrotter weave, you never thought this would make it to the NBA, <laughs> but it has. It has. Curly Neal and the Globetrotters are here. And this is what we're seeing. Minus Meadowlark Lemon's half-court shot. There, right? Uh, from the corner. He'd, he'd take several of them. But that's pretty close. I mean, we're seeing that. And just to add more to this, okay, about the unpredictability, okay? In that game yesterday, the Suns in Dallas, I told you Boston and Milwaukee put up 88 combined threes. They put up 73 in the nightcap. 73, and it was a blowout. And this is the same team, this Dallas Mavericks team that advanced on, that got blown out by 30 points. In one loss, 20 points in another loss in this series, and the other game they lost, they lost by seven. That's insane that they've advanced by losing by 20 and 30 points. It's, it's, it, it's incredible. Incredible. But this is, is what, this is what we have, and I'll tell you, it makes it impossible to try to handicap these games from a betting standpoint, too. I know you don't care about that, but a lot of people do. You know, here in Vegas, it's like you're handicapping 88 threes. One team is going to connect on four. One team's going to connect on on 19 or 22 of them. Yeah, you you that is unpredictable. Yep, yep. I tell you what, it's uh, it's <laughs> we we have no clue who's going to win, and frankly, we we. We have no clue if it's going to be a game after the third quarter. So, uh, like I said, I, it's 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 a different beast. I, I I still love basketball. I still love watching it. I still I still think the guys are extraordinarily talented. Uh, but but I don't like how they play. Yeah. I just I just really don't. And I'm just really hoping, and I don't know why I'm hoping up on hope that somehow it's going to. You know, I'm going to see something really great. See something that's uh, you know make a you know a guy's going to make a great play, and I'm just hoping to see it and not see the same thing. I haven't seen it so far, but uh, that's that's all I got left is hope. Yeah, and that's the thing. I know a lot of people look at okay, well, this this has been a bitch session for the last 20 minutes or so. But again, it's. It's concerning. It's ugly basketball. I don't know anybody that thought that either one of those games, Game 7s, were entertaining yesterday, and we've had too many of these. But you know what? I'll speak for you. I got a good feeling. We're going to turn it on again tomorrow night when Game 1 happens between Boston and Miami and hoping for something different because, okay, now it's the conference finals. We're supposed to have the four best teams left. And then here we go with the Warriors and Dallas on Wednesday night. So 
We'll give it another shot, my friend. We'll watch it. We'll talk about it. We'll break it down. There we go. Well, you, well, you got a bet. You got a shot in Miami, or Boston. You got no shot. You may see. You may see a hundred threes. It's true. We my, might. What's going to be the highest? No oh my goodness. Will we have something that eclipses eighty-eight combined threes in this series? You're thinking maybe yes, right? Sure. Oh jeez, it's insane. All right, my friend. Happy times to you. We'll send you out with a little chubby checker today. That's a big oh, seven foot. There, there you go. Now, now, now you're talking. Oh, I can see the smile on his face right now. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, big guy. Uh, uh, regroup. Get out. Get out the old uh, dry erase board. Diagram some X's and some O's. And then just throw your hands up like Red Holtzman. Throw it up and just start breaking stuff back there at MSG in the locker room. Austin LaVista, buddy. There he is. Bill Cartwright. There he is. <laughs> I think he was just so enthralled with hearing Chubby Checker there that he didn't know what to say. He's dancing. He's doing the twist right there. All right. When we come back, we talk VGK hockey. Gary Lawless will join us. Chuck Esposito will join us. We'll get his thoughts regarding the NBA playoffs, NHL, the Stanley Cup playoffs, baseball, and a whole lot more coming your way. One hour down, one to go. On this magnificent, I'm calling it magnificent money, even though the NBA playoffs were garbage yesterday. That was not magnificent. But I'm going to look at the bright side. T.C. Martin Show on this Monday. Twisted, baby. Yeah. Martin banks it off. Sutter is up with it there. Right around it, right. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Leading goal scorer on the team. Drew one and Brent It's the TC Martin Show. A tie game on the power play. Hodgson was at the front of the net. They are. Time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. A power play goal by the captain, T.C. Martin. It's brushed on back by Richard Fartzell. Right up front, Yager, finish side of the net. Score! The doctor is now in. Hour number two, glad to have you with us here. Talking NBA playoffs and, of course, Stanley Cup playoffs. And, of course, the news here today in Las Vegas is the Golden Knights dismiss head coach Peter DeBoer. As the Golden Knights have... Uh, as we know, missed the playoffs for the first time in franchise history. Many reasons behind this, and we've talked a lot about it over the course of time, but I wanted to bring in our good friend Gary Lawless, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights insider. Of course, you see Gary uh, on the TV side and hear him on the radio side as well, too. Uh, Gary, I know it's been a busy time for you, and uh, thanks for joining us, my friend. How you doing? I'm good, TC. How you doing? I'm good, buddy. I'm good. So let's uh, let's just get right into this here. You know, Gary, that... We hear the news today about Peter DeBoer being dismissed by the Golden Knights. Uh, we had a feeling that this could be coming, uh, and then now today it becomes a reality. So give us some thoughts, uh, you know, w- when you heard the news, and uh, and tell us what you know. Yeah, well, uh, these days are, uh, are always really hard because, um, you know, uh, you work with these people, you get to know them, uh, you know, yeah. you share hotel space with them, uh, you travel on the same plane, uh, you become, you know, you become colleagues and, and, and a group, and you all have, you have a common goal. You're trying to, 
you're trying to win the championship. Everybody is sort of pulling on the pulling on the same rope, and uh, you know, obviously you're disappointed when when something like this happens, and it's become, you know, it, I don't know who the first owner was that uh, that decided that you know the best way to uh, to create change was to fire a, a manager or a coach. Mm-hmm. But that's uh, that's what that's a big part of the business now. And, uh, yeah, you know, Pete Dvorsky, Spot, Ryan McGill, all really good people and all really good coaches. Uh, sad sad that this, uh, that this day came, uh, sort of like when, when Gerard Gallant and uh, Mike Kelly got, got, got right. fired as well. It's, it's not easy on the organization. Um, it's, you know, certainly not easy on them and their families. And you feel bad. You have empathy for, for them and, uh, the good thing in this case is those guys are all really good coaches and they'll all have jobs uh, as soon as they want them. Yeah, and you're right. And again, when you, like you said, you spend time, you, you can say it. I mean, you form friendships, you form bonds. And, yeah. and it, it, they're colleagues and, you know, and, you know, all of us that have worked with various organizations, you do get close, you know, to, to these guys. And, and yeah, you, you feel for them because, like I said, at the end of the day, I mean, they're out of a job and, and it affects their livelihood. And whether he de- deserved to be let go or not, I mean, that's that's another issue here. But, you know, let's go back to that. You mentioned Gerard Gallant, and I still to this day, you know, did not understand that with a lot of other fans as well, too. Looking back on this, do you think Peter DeBoer was the right fit for this team? Oh, for sure. He went to two, he went to the conference final two years in a row. Like, you know, there, there's, um, one guy who, who did, did a better job than Pete DeBoer over the last couple of years. And that's John Cooper. Uh, and then it's, you know, Pete is in a real small group of, of coaches that, you know, at the start of the season, you can almost, uh, uh, you know, sort of set your calendar and say, they're going to be in the conference final, and he 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 got that he, he turned that team around that was struggling uh, mid season and uh, just before the just before the, the before the, the shutdown for COVID, took that team to the to the to the conference final in the bubble, took that team to uh, the semifinal last year, and you know like if not for um, you know some unfortunate. Uh, uh, Situations in that Montreal series, you know, Fleury has the has the, the one poke check that uh, that goes awry, and then in the other game he misplays the puck behind the net. Uh, two pretty big games against Montreal that uh, um, that that, caught, that you know really had an effect on that series. If not for that, that you know this team would have been in the Stanley Cup final last year. I don't know if they would have like they, like they beat really good teams in Minnesota and Colorado. Uh, and then fell to that team in Montreal, mm-hmm. which was, uh, you know, not as good as Vegas. They, they, they sh- Vegas should have won that series. So uh, yeah, I know Pete, Pete was the right guy, did a great job. Uh, and the other thing is, is that, you know, you, the organizations needed really strong leadership during COVID and all the things that were going on in, in professional hockey and professional sport. Pete did a, a, a masterful job of, uh, of, of getting getting the Golden Knights through, not just through it, but creating success for them. Gary Lawless uh, joins us, taking a few minutes here and talking about Peter DeBoer being let go today by the Golden Knights. 
Gary, what were your thoughts when you heard Bill Foley's, you know, comments talking about, hey, we're going to be more careful this time. I want to get back to to the identity where we were. We were missing our personality. And then he says that it's a big priority for him to be more involved. Give me some thoughts on that. Yeah, Kelly McCrimmon addressed that today. Like, you know, Bill has been very involved. Uh, you know, he has an office in between uh, or just on the other side of, uh, of Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee. In hockey ops, George and Kelly go through their process and make their decision, and then they take it to Bill, and Bill has signed off on everything they've done. Uh, Bill's a great owner. Uh, Bill has, uh, to me, the number one thing you want from your owner is uh, is leadership and the resources to, you know, act on. Uh, uh, on 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 what you think you need, your team needs to do. I work in the organization. I know what the culture is inside those walls. Yep. It's a good place to work. Uh, the, the leadership is 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 very strong, um, and you know the, the the resources have always been there for hockey operations, uh, for the for the, the in game entertainment, everything we do. That you know they do. They do the right way, and they do it first class. So uh, I, I think Bill is involved uh, to the degree that he wants to be because that he's the owner and he has that right. But I also think he does a really good job of letting people do their jobs. Final thing for you, uh, Gary, before we let you go. Several high-profile coaches are available now, from Barry Trotz to um, you know Claude Julian, uh, Paul Maurice, uh, Mike Babcock. Do you think the Golden Knights will go in a direction like that, or what? What are your thoughts or inklings? Yeah, I haven't had a chance to, you know, to sort of sit down with with Kelly and George and hear sort of what their thoughts uh, are going to be on that. And maybe I won't. You know, uh, right. they don't really consult me when they're when they're making these deals. But they should. Uh, or, they should, Gary. Come on. <laughs> or decisions. Of course they should. Uh, you know, everyone should consult me, but that, my wife doesn't either. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, this team is, uh, I'll put it to you this way. This team is a Stanley Cup contender. Uh, don't be fooled by, uh, by what happened this season. This team will go into next year with one of the best rosters in the NHL. Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee have done a fantastic job in putting this roster together, I would find it hard to believe that they would, uh, and tr- like they got a Ferrari. They're not letting a kid with a learner's permit drive it. This is going to be someone with experience and someone pretty seasoned that is going to take over this group. All right. Gary Lawless, you can catch him obviously on the Golden Knights broadcast on the radio side, as well as the, the television side, Golden Knights Insider. Great stuff, my friend. Great catching up with you, and I appreciate the time today, and uh, we'll talk to you real soon. Hey, my pleasure. Talk soon. Bye-bye. There you go. All right, uh, Gary Lawless. Uh, yeah, I remember Gary was uh, – I remember when he first got to to Vegas, he got off a plane, and the Golden Knights picked him up and brought him over to do my show going back now, what, five years ago. And uh, I remember talking to him about Winnipeg and, and this and that, and here we are now five years later that uh, – here, here we go, and he's done a fantastic job, and everybody knows, uh, you know, Gary, uh, for doing a fine job on again as far as information, being part of that organization. Again, when you're part of the organization, 
and we've talked about this before that you know you have to be careful you know what you save uh and again you do create bonds friendships it happens and it's sad when you when you see people go but we understand this is a a business thing and there's certain things again that he can he can dive into other things uh, that he can't but uh uh again uh very busy day around the Golden Knights facility today as they dismiss uh, head coach uh, Peter DeBoer. We talked a lot about that in the first hour, and uh, we continue uh, with this segment here. So I appreciate Gary Laws for joining us. Uh, let's bring in our good friend Alan Snell. Uh, also, LV Sports Biz does a fantastic job. Alan was at the press conference earlier today. Alan, how you doing, buddy? Hey, CC. It's always great to talk with you, man. Likewise, my friend. Whether it's in person or on the air, I, I, I love it. And Alan is all about uh, all over town at every event that's uh, here in town. And great seeing you at the Aces home opener. Hopefully we'll get a chance to see you during this four-game homestand coming up here this week as well, my friend. Yeah, you know, the Aces have an exciting team. <clears throat> you know, um, people should really check out the team. If you just enjoy basketball, go to the games. They're, they play very uh, up-tempo fast-paced kind of game. The two uh, players who won the uh, sixth person of the uh, um, year awards are both in the starting lineup now, you know, Hamby and Plum, and they're just really just flying up the court, running and gunning and having – if you just love basketball, go to the games. That's, yeah. that's my thought. Absolutely. Absolutely correct. And uh, they'll be going out again tomorrow night against the Phoenix Mercury, 7 o'clock. Get your tickets at access.com. Look forward to seeing people out there and come on up and say hello. And you'll see Alan Snell uh, usually directly behind me uh, on his computer. Exactly. Yeah, he's doing his thing. I love it. All right, Alan, you were at the press conference today. We're talking about the Golden Knights dismissing Peter DeBoer. Uh, tell us what you took out of this press conference today after hearing Kelly McCrimmon talk. And again, it, it didn't really uh, offer much insight. Uh, if we read between the lines, uh, what do you think? Well, you know, I kind of come to this, the business of sports as a journalist who has worked on the Metro side, news and business. And sometimes I'm kind of kind of unfamiliar with these kind of press conferences where they roll out these people and they don't say anything. They don't, they, I mean, he didn't even answer my question. You know, I said, you know, under a new coach, you know, what kind of play do you think the team is going to exhibit? And, and he goes, and he said, and McCrimmon said something like, oh, well, we know how it looks like and when they play really well. And it's like, well, okay, explain it. What specifically are you looking for? And honestly, I just didn't get much out of the press conference. I mean, um, he did have some injury news about Mark Stone getting the back in, um, surgery on Wednesday. But other than that, as a journalist who just is kind of looking for some insight and analysis, I thought uh, McCrimmon offered pretty much zero. And see, that's the problem here because, I mean, fans will go ahead and, and try to insinuate, like, what were the reasons and this and that. And, you know, we know that Peter DeBoer is, is a good coach. He's a capable head coach. And just like I asked Gary Lawless, it's like, was he the right fit? And I think some people will say, well, no, he, he wasn't the right fit. Maybe he wasn't the right guy coming in for Gerard Gallant, coming over from the Sharks or whatever. And again, he was never, I mean, you sat in those press conferences, you know, Alan, uh, between the two. And, you know, I, I enjoyed, you know, spending time with Gerard Gallant. I really didn't spend much time at all with, with, with Peter DeBoer and didn't go to a lot of those press conferences, you know, after the game. But, you know, I, I just felt that, you know, he was standoffish or it could come off as standoffish at the times. What was your take about DeBoer? Not only just the, you know, the way he was with the media and the information that, that he gave, but just his relationship with the team and in the city in general. 
Well, um, you're talking about two very different personalities. You know, it's interesting about, you know, I kind of approach it from the business standpoint. And sometimes businesses have cultures, and some people are fits with that culture, and some aren't. I mean, I think Gallant was like a very good fit with the quote-unquote misfits culture. I mean, he was kind of a scrappy, uh, lunch bucket, you know, uh, working class style approach to the game. And that's what the Golden Knights were known for that first season. I thought it was really interesting two weeks ago when they had the postseason uh, presser and then they rolled in all the players. I was kind of surprised, actually, that several of the players came out and said, we have to get back to that, that kind of grittiness. I mean, you can't – nothing will replicate the season one. I mean, that was kind of a – in terms of just the entire convergence of several issues, that was a unicorn season. We'll never see that again. However, you can play with passion and grit and fight. And I think most fans, and if you're watching the games, I think that was kind of lacking at times this season, especially down the stretch when the season was in the balance. And Gallant, I thought, was kind of the head coach, and I thought he kind of exemplified that. Pete DeBoer is very different. He's more cerebral. He's a lawyer. Um, I, I kind of joke because I used to kind of joke with him about his three-piece suits. I will say this, TC, I did actually bump into him at, in, at the Albertsons right on Charleston and Desert Foothills Road there. And, and out, of, out of kind of the, the whole uh, official business contact, he was kind of a pretty chatty, friendly guy. And I think he, he was okay. You know, sometimes, you know, these, these coaches, they can't be as – candid and frank as they want to at some of these press conferences, but he, he's, a, he's just a little more, you know, Gerard Gallant is, he's, he's just more kind of a working man kind of dude, you know, and I think uh, um, Boer is just a little more, a little more stiffer kind of personality, but um, he didn't really let his personality come out too much, and I think kind of toward the end, he was kind of joking a little, I think he joked about I think maybe getting drunk like over the All Star break. Right, uh, I remember that. About. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that was kind of a funny little you know sign there, TC, that the guy actually you know is uh, is kind of human. Um, I honestly, you know, he, he had kind of a decent record with you know that was that's the thing about you know these press conferences. McCrimmon kept on saying he was successful. He's a friend. He's a good guy. This and that, and you you really didn't get any insight on what was. What was the team specifically lacking that a coach, that a new coach will fulfill and realize in season six? That was, to me, the whole, it was a big missing part of today's press conference. And as a, a, a general manager or president, you should come out and say, listen, we didn't achieve what we wanted to. You, you don't, don't use the injury thing because we all are aware of the injuries. They lost 550 man games. Uh, you lost Mark Stone for 45. We get that. Okay, but when you make it, if it's just the injuries, more than likely you're not going to make a head coaching change. So just come out and say what the reason is. Like, I feel that the team lacked fire. We need a new voice. We need new leadership. There were some things maybe schematically or, you know, from an X's and O's standpoint that we didn't utilize. I mean, you can say all of that stuff. Pierre DeBoer is going to probably get another shot, you know, coaching somewhere else. You're not going to really disparage him. But I think that's what people want to hear, not just the media, but but the fans. I think, you know, I don't want to say they're entitled to it because no one's really entitled to anything. But it just it goes a long way when you have, you know, management of these teams, especially when you want to, you know, invite your fan base to get involved, come to games and, and root them on. Just kind of, you know, 
let him in a little bit. Let him into what was behind the decision making. And obviously, there was something. So just you know, if if there was something behind closed doors, it was ugly. Of course, you're not going to say that. But there has to be something. In my belief, Alan is just seeing the team's body language and the lack of results is that they did need a fresh voice. Then maybe Peter DeBoer was not that guy with this group of players. And you know, you you have you need you need a new leader. Just come out and say that. Yeah, there's, there's nothing wrong with a little uh, with some candor, TC. Just come out and say it, and you know, just move on and get that uh, this new voice. He also claimed that he hasn't talked with anyone and has no names, and you know, the whole uh, Trotz thing like didn't get any air, you know, at the press conference either. So, you know, I just um, <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see who they hire. You know, what's really interesting about the differences between the NFL and the uh, NHL is. I, sometimes I think the NHL gets this reputation of just recycling all their coaches. And if you've noticed with the NFL, there's like all these younger coaches uh, coming in. And I'm kind of curious just to see if, you know, we'll get a trot or, you know, kind of another recycled NHL coach. Or if it'll be kind of a, you know, a younger guy who might be able to have um, some kind of connection to, you know, some of the players. Although, T.C., you know, the, the players are kind of not getting on in age with the Golden Knights. I was kind of surprised. You know, five years ago, there was kind of this kind of young, run-and-gun kind of, you know, um, attitude with the team. There was this – there seemed to be a younger vibe. You know, the Golden Knights are getting older. You know, they're one of the older teams in the league. And I'm, I'm kind of curious to, to see who's going to be that coach, you know, for the uh, – you know, from the Golden Knights. Like you said, you know, um, getting a fresh voice, a new voice – a, you know, a new voice that will somehow get more out of the players in terms of effort and grit. I mean, I think that was lacking. I think even a lot of the fans and just around the league, you just had the sense that, you know, the pieces just did not interlock. And there was just not that um, that sense of urgency that you kind of see down the last 5, 10, 12 games of the season. It just, you know, it, it was lacking. I mean, they the, 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 lo- the loss against uh, San Jose in the shootout when they had a 4-2 lead, inexcusable. Yep. You know, I'm sorry. That was just inexcusable. They're just, you know, the team just did not close out wins and did, and lost to the Devils as well. The last down the stretch, it was, you know, just kind of a poor way to close the season. Well, the thing about it is, one of the reasons why the Golden Knights are one of the older teams now is because they went out and got some free agents, and I don't want to say aging free agents, but they got some older players. And the direction they wanted to go, and, and I used this you know, earlier, I don't know if you heard or not, but you know, when you had that Golden Misfit you know, team and you had all these cast-offs, most of them were young cast-offs. Some of the guys had been in the league for four or five years, but they felt like, okay, you know, hey, we're all in the same you know, boat here. We're, we all got dismissed by our teams. We're coming here, and let's try to make something happen. And, and they did, and they, yeah, called it, you know, the perfect storm, stri- uh, lightning striking in a bottle, whatever it is. Gerard Gallant, you know, was a perfect guy, you know, for that. And they had this success, and they felt like, well, you know what? Now we can get some of these free agents because they see that we're not a joke. I mean, this is Las Vegas. Everybody wants to come here. Wow, we're, we're in the Stanley Cup Finals the very first year. So they felt like now we can go get these higher priced free agents. Well, what has happened when you get higher priced free agents? You get guys that maybe aren't as hungry. All right, that's a big difference. You get guys that are more injury prone because they're older, and that can backfire on you. And we throw Robin Leonard into that mix as well, too. I mean, Mark Andre Fleury was older, but he plays a lot younger than Robin Leonard, you know, and a lot less uh, injury prone as well, too. So you throw all of that into the mix, 
And then I think that's why you have the situation that you have now. Now you're backtracking. Okay, now what do we do? We got all this veteran talent, this high price talent. We got these all stars, but now our, our coach really isn't that vocal. So that's why, again, Al, I think that you're going to get another veteran coach. To if you bring in somebody, you know, young, it may not have the ear of these veteran players. And the players to themselves said, you know what? Yeah. We, we kind of, you know, went through the motions here. And Bill Foley saying that, hey, now uh, I'm going to be more involved in this, that, you know, we lost a little bit of our personality the last few years. There's a lot to be read in Bill Foley's comments compared to Kelly McCrimmon's. And Foley wants to win. Kel- uh, Foley wants to get back to where he was. And I think there's a little bit of regret with some of these decisions that Foley let these guys make. I firmly believe that. Well, you know, i got to tell you, T.C., uh, you know, if, you know, if you're looking at the track record, McCrimmon has been going for the brand names. Yep. I mean, he's going for the Pacioretty's and the Stones and the Petrangelo. So, you know, that's why um, I tend to think that he will go for a brand name coach. Yep. And you're right, Alan. You bring up a good point comparing to the NFL because the NFL, you'll see more of the offensive coordinators or defensive coordinators who buy their time for a couple seasons and get their shot. That's the NFL way. The NHL way is not that way at all. The NBA has gone the NFL way as well, too, where you're seeing younger coaches. But for hockey, I don't know what the reason is, uh, but you usually don't see – uh, the the younger guy, a guy in his you know early thirties or mid thirties, taking over teams. It is kind of the old recycle, the way the NBA was maybe twenty years ago. Right, and I think and I think that's kind of hurting the NHL. I think they do. I mean, I, the the league does fine with attendance for the most part. I mean, look at the Golden Knights; they're filling the building one hundred four percent of capacity, and you know they have their eighteen thousand announced crowds. But, you know, in terms of TV ratings across the country, TC, I mean, let's, we have to accept the fact hockey is kind of a niche sport across the country. I mean, sure it, it is. Yes. It, 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 it literally, you know, draws literally one-fifth to one-sixth of an NFL game, you know, in terms of the number of viewers watching a national game. So I think it would really behoove the NHL to try to get with the times, get some, like, younger more, I don't know what the word would be. I don't, I don't mean politically progressive, but some just like hockey progressive, um, younger, you know, younger folks just to kind of, you know, kickstart that demographic. Well, again, it, it goes back to this not being America's national pastime sport. I mean, it's a Canadian sport. And when you have the young dynamic players, you know, you know, playing in, in Edmonton and other places like that, it really, it doesn't help. You know your television ratings in the United States markets. I mean, you are you know you need kind of like a young you know Patrick Kane, like he was with the Blackhawks when he came up, and other guy. You get four or five of those type of guys, a Wayne Gretzky that can resonate maybe with a younger audience. You get that, you know, and I think that's exactly you know what you need. And ESPN is really trying to force feed like they do with a lot of stuff that they you know back and you know when they put a contract out there, they're gonna you know force it down your throat. But here's a big problem with the NHL from a business side, Alan, that you know better than anybody, is that you got to know where to find this. I mean, you turn on ESPN any night during the month of May, you don't know if you're going to watch an NBA game, if you're going to watch a WNBA game, or it's going to be hockey. You don't know. TNT the That's other night. TNT also, is showing hockey over the weekend. Nobody in their right mind is going to TNT for hockey. You have to remind yourself, oh, that's right. TNT's got a got a package of playoff games here. 
No, no one who watches TNT. If you're watching TNT, you know what you're watching TNT for? You're watching TNT for the NBA at night, Law and Order during the day, or maybe uh, Mayberry at Andy Griffith. That's what you're turning to TNT for. <laughs> I, I, I got to tell you, I think you know. I think it was a good move to get ESPN on board. You know, as a broadcaster, I think they're going to do more than NBC. But like you mentioned, uh, there aren't too many uh, folks out there that realize that. The games are also on TBS and TNT, like you mentioned. And I do have to uh, say this as well. I know it's a sensitive issue about the NHL. They have to just broaden their just demographic uh, diversity. I mean, I hate to say it, but, yeah. you know, we live, we live in a very diverse country. That's, we, the fact is we live in a pluralistic country, and you just can't have, you know, a league. Uh, I don't think people of color sometimes relate to the NHL game. I've actually, you know... Um, Talk to you know, talk to black friends. Why you know, why do your kids not into the NHL? And they just said there's no one for us to really relate to. And it's true, you yeah, know. Yeah, they don't play. They don't play the sport. You know, uh, a lot of young kids don't play the sport here in the United States, no matter of, of what color. But uh, definitely, you know, as far as. You know, people of color, they're, 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 they're not playing in these youth leagues. And again, and hockey's a pretty expensive sport to, to play in as, as well, too. It's, it's different. You know, it's totally different. It's just, yeah, and I think, you know, and our ancestors, you know, a lot didn't, you know, um, you know, unless you lived in the East Coast or maybe up, uh, up north, you were, really weren't brought up with hockey. No, and, and you know, I think the NHL is aware about this. They do have a position uh, on their league staff. Uh, for someone who is working on diversity issues, it's just oh, I'm sure they are. You know, yes, yes. You know, I mean, they're aware of this issue, but uh, you know, just just getting back to the point of the, you know, these press conferences. I just, I, I got to tell you, you know, um, I, I just don't think the team did itself much of a service with having these kind of answers to Pete. You know, you know, the media is basically the you know the conduit to the fans. Um, although, you know, let's face it, the Golden Knights do have their own in-house staff and, you know, they could uh, disseminate the information you know, any way they want. Um, but at the same token, you know, I, I just I, I came away from the press conference, 25 minutes of talking by Kelly McCrimmon, and there was just very, very little insight on this transition, you know, uh, about why, why DeBoer is leaving and like I, I agree with you. There's nothing wrong with just showing a little candor and just kind of offer some insight and then just move on. I mean, fans can handle it, you know. Right, right. They're good, good stuff. Alan Snell, check him out. LV Sports Biz doing a fantastic job. Just had his anniversary uh, of a couple months back as well, too. So go check out. He'll he'll capture all the uh, Vegas business insight, uh, not only from a sports perspective, but. Uh, but everything else here in town. So I appreciate it, brother. Appreciate you seeing the games. Appreciate you spending some time with us today. And always good uh, talking with you and seeing you. Anytime, TC. Look forward to seeing you at the Aces game tomorrow night. You got it, brother. Thanks, man. There he is. Alan Snell. Check it out. LV Sports Biz Weekly. All right. Uh, we come back. Chuck Esposito is going to join us as we talk a little NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball, and a whole lot more. You're listening to some bullshit on the TC Monitor. All right, NBA playoffs, they continue after the disaster game sevens that we saw yesterday. But we saw some great NHL hockey, Stanley Cup 
playoff game sevens, didn't we? On Saturday and Sunday. So the NBA takes a little break. No action tonight, but tomorrow Miami and Boston, they will get it on for game number one. And then on Wednesday, Warriors will be hosting the Dallas Mavericks. And I don't think the Golden State Warriors thought they would be hosting and have home court advantage during the Western Conference Finals. They thought, okay, we're going to be playing the Phoenix Suns. Not the case. So uh, we talked a lot about that in hour number one. We'll dive more back into that here in hour two and visit with our good friend from the sports book side, the one and only Chuck Esposito doing his thing in front of the multiple racks of televisions and computers at Red Rock Casino. What's going on, my friend? I'm all good, buddy. Just, uh, you know, grinding away. It's kind of strange. No no NBA, no NHL tonight, just kind of baseball. But uh, you're right. Uh, NHL game sevens were unbelievable. Uh, the late game last night, you know, going into overtime, what a way to finish that round of the playoffs. And, and you know, hats off to the Mavs and Luka Doncic. I mean, unbelievable. You're right. There's no question that, that um, Golden State thought they'd be hosting um, the Western Conference final game. No doubt. So Chuck, Game you, one, I should when, say. Yeah, when you look at, at the game yesterday, I know that Phoenix was around a six-and-a-half-point favorite in this game, and I know there were a lot of sharp guys that, that were, ba- were backing Phoenix in this one, thinking like, hey, the home team has won every game in Buddy, this series. Everybody backed them yesterday. Everybody. We needed the Mavs, you know, big time. I mean, it was tough to get a bet. Um, on the Mavs yesterday. It was completely one-sided, both, as you said, sophisticated and house players um, playing Phoenix yesterday. I know you just, I mean, when you're watching this game, Chuck, you had to be thinking, look at this. I mean, 27-17, and then second quarter comes, you can just see the body language with the Suns players, and you see, you know, Luka Donitz just kind of like laughing that, hey, this is pretty easy. I'm scoring at will against DeAndre Aiden, and I mean, yeah, it was it was laughable, and you know, we, we had talked to, to Bill Cartwright last hour, and he was just disgusted, and he texted me yesterday saying, you know, it's just this is just really it's embarrassing, you know, for for my sport, as he says, because you know, to see teams that are putting up this kind of effort and these kind of blowouts, like he said, you know, back when he played, you never saw blowouts like this, and especially this one, Chuck, because Game Seven was pretty much a microcosm of what Game Six was in this series. Yeah. So to see two major blowouts by the Dallas Mavericks against the number one seed, it, it, it's disturbing. And I talked to several other M- uh, former NBA guys too. They just go, this is just, you know, we don't like this. And, and we're not, this isn't entertaining. We don't like it at all. Well, you, you could make a case, TC, that both games were like that yesterday. Yeah. That, um, you know, they, they just weren't, you know, back and forth and compelling finishes. I mean, we saw a lot more of that. Um, I think in the NHL in, in Game Seven, I know the scoring's different, and, um, but teams that were uh, uh, you know a lot tighter and playing you know different styles than what they did um, because of what was at stake for a Game Seven, and I uh, didn't see that in either game yesterday. I was at my son's hockey game, so I, I missed uh, a lot of the first half of the uh, the Suns game. And, but watching on my you know on my phone, I mean, I, I would check it and I was like, this can't be right. You know, it it, it was stunning just from the from the opening tip just to see the way that it was it was so one-sided like that and again hats off to the Mavs I mean why can't they you know win the West um but it's uh, it's going to be fun to watch them and Golden State uh kind of go at it head to head 
Yeah, absolutely. Chuck Esposito joins us from Red Rock talking about the NBA playoffs as well as the NHL. So what kind of early action have you seen thus far, Chuck, uh, here in the the Boston-Miami series? Game one will be tomorrow night. Uh, Kyle Lowry will not play. That just seems like a nagging injury. I don't know when he's going to come back, but he means a lot to this Miami Heat team. Miami uh, instituted as a point and a half favorite. Has Boston become, I shouldn't say become, because we know that going back to the Bird era and even you know before that, Boston was always a very public team. They have a lot of fans out there. But with this rendition of this Celtic team, Chuck, are they a public betting team? I think they are to some degree, TC. Um, they've always been a popular team. I think, you know, um, when the popular teams are really playing well, it becomes that much more um, enhanced. I think in any sport, you know, when you've got um, you know, a, a team from a big market city that, that doesn't do well for a while. It falls off. But once they get good or hot again, that you see it change really rapidly. And in this first game, you know, the, the early action has clearly been on the Celtics. You've seen this number drop. But it's, uh, it's more of a Celtic style where you've seen the total drop um, with a good two and a half points so far. So um, that's what we're seeing early on. The bulk of the action, of course, will happen tomorrow. It's just one game a night now. So you're focusing on the one game in the in the conference finals each night, but early play clearly on um, on uh, the Celtics and under so far. All right, Dallas and Golden State they will play game one on Wednesday. Warriors uh, instituted as a five point favorite in this one. That's kind of been the number for a lot of these Warrior games, uh, Chuck. You know, when the Warriors have been at home, it's been you know five, six, maybe up to eight for a lot of these games. Uh, I know some people think like, oh, maybe there's a little value with the Warriors here only given up five because they're thinking of if Dallas you know they they lost two games by by 20 plus points one by 21 uh, by 30 to the Phoenix Suns and uh, we've seen Golden State be a little you know uh, susceptible here as well too what are your thoughts on this series yeah I think it's a really good series I mean I I think everybody thought it was going to be you know um, uh, Warriors and Suns and we had already started looking at series prices for that um, it, it's weird because the Mavs were were blown out. I mean, prior to yesterday, that series, that series was a, a clearly a homer series with with each team winning convincingly at home. Um, the Mavericks pretty much flipped the script yesterday and and did exactly to to Golden State what Golden State had been doing to them for the most part uh, when they were in their barn. I mean, Phoenix. I'm sorry, when they were in their barn. So. Um, you know, this game went down a little bit too, TC. We opened it at five and a half. Uh, the initial push was on the over. Then we saw it come back a little bit. I think this total will go back up, and I think you might see the line in game one go back up. But this clearly would be a game that if the Mavs could somehow steal game one, they really make it an interesting series. But my guess is we'll probably be Mavs fans when this game kicks off on Wednesday night. Chuck, I know a lot of people will, you know, still dive into the futures here before game one of these conference finals. Is there a clear cut favorite between these four teams here? Are you are you heavy on on any team here? You know, not really. I think when you look at these four, TC, I mean, you can make an argument. I think for for all four. I mean, they've been you know four teams that have been kind of uh, you know fun to watch. And when you you know we when we re put it back up now with the future book odds. On just the four teams left since the the two, you know, going into the the conference finals, the most tickets by far are on the Mavericks. That you actually have more tickets on the Mavericks than the other three teams combined right now, and that's the last thing they saw. They saw them beat the number one team in the West, and you know, just go on the road to Phoenix and win that game. But that's where you're kind of seeing a little bit of a push since we kind of reshuffled it and and put it back up with. 
uh, with just the four teams. Most tickets clearly on the Mavs. And what can you get the Mavs at right now, Chuck? Uh, right now, TC, I mean, the price isn't uh, – I think you're getting the Mavs at somewhere over six to one right now. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and I can see that. Like you said, this is what how the public reacts a lot. It's like the last thing they saw from me. And they saw not just a game seven, but they saw a game six where they thoroughly dominated, you know, Phoenix. And like I said, it, it seems like the Warriors are a little bit susceptible. Even though I don't want to get in front of a, a Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green train, you know. But uh, well, I mean, when you, I don't mean to interrupt, but when no. you think about the. The um, uh, the Warriors, I mean, they easily could have lost, yeah. um, you know, game four. We know they lost game five. They easily could have lost game four to the Grizz. They probably should have lost game one to the Grizz and didn't play well in the first half of that game six against the Grizz. So, you know, I, I think you're right. They are somewhat susceptible um, to an upset, and no team is probably more confident now and has that swagger right now than the Dallas Mavericks. And I think that's what you want in any sport. Regardless of where you're kind of seated going into the postseason, you want a team that once you get there starts playing like they're a team that wants to win it. And, you know, for me, that's the Mavs right now. It is, and a lot of that is because of Luka Donich, and here's a guy that I think people gravitate to, and you know they they remember Dirk Nowitzki and all those great Dallas Maverick teams, and they're saying, look at this Donich. I mean, he reminds us a lot of Dirk, even though their games are, are a little bit different, but this guy is is has really come into his own. He's phenomenal. He's one of the best scorers there is, and again, when you get a guy like that, I mean, it, it's it's really easy to get behind a team like that. You know, it's funny that you say that because we, we had a kind of an internal discussion with a lot of the hub guys who were talking about it. And really, when, when, you, when you talk about the Mavericks, I think you can kind of be, you know, hats off to, to Mark Cuban yep. and, his, and the scouting department there. I mean, we know that um, pro basketball is an international sport and has such an international flair to it. We've seen more and more of the, the European players, international players, you know, gravitate to the NBA. But for them to, you know, have drafted both Dirk and, and Luca, I mean, they, they clearly understand, you know, what the what these guys contribute, um, to, you know, overseas and how good they are and how their game translates to the NBA. And they've done an awesome job of, uh, you know, going out and getting that international talent who are you know, arguably some of the biggest stars, if not the biggest star in the league. Um, so, again, really, really good job by the Mavericks with both uh, Dirk and Luca. Yeah, and you can say what you want. Jason Tatum is really, you know, um, winding into his own. He's a great player. But can oh, you imagine? I'm not taking away from any of the other stars oh, no, that no. are in the league. I'm just kind of focusing on that. Love Jason Tatum's game and, you know, what what a leader he's become for, for Boston. And, I mean, you know, if you're, if you're a Celtics fan, you have to love the way that he plays on both ends of the court. And he's the guy that wants the ball in the last 30 seconds. And that's what you want out of your superstar. So, again, this wasn't meant to take anything away no. from anybody else, just kind of complimenting what Dallas has done with their scouting department and, and the way that they view and, and draft international players, recognizing how that translates to the NBA. No, Chuck, where, where I was going with that was, it, you know, say what you want, that Jason Tatum – 
it was a great player and he got the best of, of, of Milwaukee and Giannis. But where I was going was, can you imagine if Giannis was in this uh, final four as well too with, with the Donich? Because when I think of the great overseas players, I think, like you said, I think of Dirk, I think of, of Luca. And of course you have to think of, of Giannis and what he's done and, and give the Bucks credit for, for, you know, getting this guy that no one uh, thought that he would, uh, you know, um, be what he is. And then especially, you know, coming off winning a championship last year. That's why secretly I, I was rooting for Milwaukee because I wanted to th- maybe see a, a Luka Giannis final potentially. Because you talk about yeah. the, these great overseas players. I, I think it's so much different now, TC. I know you and I have talked about it a little bit. And, you know, the fact that the, the international players can, can come to the NBA right away, I think the NBA has become somewhat – and there might be people that disagree with me, more of a you know developmental league um, for some of the young talent. And all I mean by that is that a lot of these kids haven't had the opportunity to spend you know uh, in the states three or four years at the collegiate level. They're they're one and done rather quickly. They still blossom into very very good players and sometimes elite players. But the the international players have spent more time competing on a different level. And I think that's kind of changed the dynamic. And, and once they are drafted, they're able to come over. If you remember, and I'm you know, going back now to, to the Bulls and Tony Kukoc, I mean, Tony Kukoc was drafted not knowing if he would ever be able to play in the NBA, that his rights were owned by you know, uh, um, a European team. Yep. And he did play for, I think, three years before he actually came to the NBA. And, and I think now it's just different that these, that these guys who play international ball and are recognized by you know, the, the top scouts and, and league execs in the NBA, they, they identify these guys and their game translates to the NBA. You see it in the draft now, more and more international players being drafted, and, and they, but they can contribute right away. And I think that's why you've seen the game change so much and get such an international flair is because they can come over day one and they're not forced to, to wait that two, three, four years or longer like players have in the past. No, you're right, Chuck. And then you uh, look at baseball, and we saw that with the Japanese players. I mean, we would see Ichiro and Yu Darvish and, and, and other people before them that would come over, and they would they would come over in their 30s because they were playing in Japan for all those years. And just think, I mean, if Ichiro would have spent his entire you know, uh, career, you know, playing in the major right. leagues. I oh. mean, but yeah, but that's a the perfect, number, yeah. Kukoc yeah, was that would be, would be baseball, I mean, right. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it with Atani and, and Suzuki now that they did, they, it, you know, it wasn't right away in their careers that they came over. But, you know, I, I love that about sports. I mean, being a, a sports fan, you, you love the international flair. You, you love to see um, players, you know, from all over the world and in both men's and, and, and women's sports, professional sports, um, that are the best of the best you know, be able to contribute at the highest levels in these leagues. And it's fun to watch and see their successes. Chuck Esposito joins us from Red Rock. Uh, Chuck, we talk a little baseball here. Uh, how crazy was yesterday when we saw a Major League Baseball no-hitter? <laughs> one nothing Pirates. Oh, the Pirates didn't throw the no-no. No, the Cincinnati Reds pitchers threw the no-no and they lost. Crazy situation here where Hunter Green goes seven and a third 
he comes out of the game because he walked five guys, ends up walking the bases loaded. They bring in Art Warren for two-thirds of an inning. Bottom of the eighth inning, the game is scoreless, but they walk the Reds lock, walk the bases loaded. Then we have a ground out, a fielder's choice, scores the run from third, one nothing. Then they get the third out. There it is, one nothing. They go to the ninth inning. Uh, Cincinnati can't score, and they end up losing one nothing despite their two pitchers combining on a no-hitter for eight innings. <laughs> well, I'm going to say this, and I think it's enough said. There's only one team in Major League Baseball that has single-digit wins, and it's the <laughs> team that just threw a, new hit, a no-hitter and lost. Right. So I'm going to leave it at that. But, I, I mean, I don't know what else you can say. I mean, um, you're starting to see a little bit more parity, though, throughout the league. I know the Dodgers came back and, and, and won yesterday. Uh, Phillies had played really well in that series against them. Had a chance to win four. Um, Cardinals are playing well. The National League West, you know, really, you know, you're seeing the Dodgers, Padres, and Giants uh, play so good this year. Diamondbacks, really a big surprise right now. And in the American League, you know, I guess you make a case that the Angels are somewhat of a surprise, um, how well they're playing early on. Um, you know, and the fact that the White Sox are below 500, but a lot of injuries, but not a lot of crazy storylines right now early on outside of the fact that, Every Sunday night baseball game has gone over, yet the majority of these games you're seeing trended toward the under. You're seeing a lot more seven and a half, seven, six and a half totals that you didn't see. So say what you want about the baseballs, but looks to me like they're using a different baseball on Sunday night. That's a good point, Chuck. Very interesting. And, you know, we're so used to seeing unders at Chavez Ravine at Dodger Stadium, and you look at this Philly series. I mean, the pinball machine went off every night. It was it was crazy to see Dodgers, you know, in like in 9-7 games and, you know, these crazy scores and everything. But a lot of that is because, you know, the Dodger bullpen and the, and the pitching staff is, is not where it's supposed to be. And I think a lot of people think, oh, this you know, Dodgers have this great staff or the great relievers. I mean, when you look at it, you know, from an ERA standpoint, the Dodgers are number one in that category. But when you go K through, you know, the you know the strikeouts per nine innings, they're uh, middle. I think they're 16th in, in Major League Baseball, and. They, you know, Kenley Jansen was a good closer, but he would occasionally blow up. Now they got Craig Kimbrell, but yeah, we're just not seeing solid pitching from the Dodgers. But yeah, it, it, it is crazy to see that those high-scoring games, especially with that Phillies-Dodgers series. Yeah, I mean, again, the trend has been toward the, you know, under all year. But don't forget for the Dodgers. I mean, last year they lose May, who still hasn't come back yet. Who you could make a case that he was that kind of. Uh, could go three or four innings if need be, um, has electric stuff and could start. This year they've lost both Trinan, who was, who was talked about as potentially being their closer, um, and then when they got Kimbrell, that eighth-inning guy who now they don't have, and then they also lose Heaney, who, you know, who they picked up, who was electric as well um, early on this year with the strikeout-to-walk um, ratio. So they've kind of lost three guys that would be – kind of in that middle spot that would contribute. Um, but, hey, it's a long season right now. You still look at a Dodger team that, you know, the Yankees have 25 wins and, and the Strohs 23. But when you look over to the National League with the Mets at 23, Brewers at 22, and Dodgers at 21, no big surprise in any of those divisions that those are the three teams on top in the NL. No doubt. And the Astros won 12 out of 13. The Yankees 20 out of 24. Uh, those teams just red hot right now, both offensively 
and defensively, especially in the Astros and the Yankees. I mean, talk about the, the pitching and uh, their bullpen. Uh, both of those are, are fantastic uh, right now. Another thing, Chuck, is uh, I know you get a lot of run line players over there. And up until the series where the uh, Dodgers lost three out of four games to the Phillies, I mean, the Dodgers were were cashing big time on the run line where they were, you know, they were putting up a lot of big offensive numbers and they were cashing tickets as well as, as the Yankees. And the Angels were another team that uh, were, were very, very profitable from a run line perspective. I was hoping you weren't going to remind me or touch on that, CC, because <laughs> – I mean, you're absolutely right. We had looked at that, that there was a long stretch of every single game, or I think it was, you know, whatever, 14 out of 15 games that the Dodgers had had won early on and that they had also covered the run line. And similar to hockey, when you get, you know, the good teams and they're backing them on the puck line, they do the same thing in baseball, and you're getting a much more advantageous price. And when the Dodgers were, you know, beating up on some of the, um, the, you know, the lesser teams, uh, it wasn't just to win the game, but we really had to beat the run line um, to have any success at all. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just, again, wish you hadn't reminded me of that, but that's a big part of it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Chuck. Please forgive me. But you know where our hey, listeners no, are saying right no now, worries, don't buddy. feel sorry for the bookmaker. That's what the listeners always <laughs> say, right? That's what the players say. Yep, yep, absolutely. <laughs> he is Chuck Esposito over at Red Rock. Does a fantastic job over there. Jason McCormick and the gang. Um, great stuff, Chuck. Get the STN mobile app. Real easy to use, especially during uh, – uh, baseball. Real quick, Chuck, the are you guys allowing listing pitchers now? Oh yeah. yeah. We didn't change at all, T C. We thought it was a um you know, I know there has been uh, both locally and, and you know nationally there's been sports books that have not um because of uh, kind of the structure of baseball and the changes. But we think it's an important part. I mean yes. we want to give you the option um to continue to list pitchers. I think when you look at baseball the the, the line is established really based on the pitching matchup. The team included, you're looking at streaks and trends and, and travel and things like that, but it's really based on the pitcher. So uh, with Station Casinos, both over-the-counter and on STN Sports, you absolutely have the option to list one or both pitchers or neither pitcher. Um, but, yes, that is still an option with us. I appreciate that, Chuck, because, like I said, I, that's my argument all the time. If you're, you know, li- the line is based on the pitching matchup, plain and simple. And I know that, uh, you know, like Clayton Kershaw, he was scheduled to go – you know, on Friday, and he didn't end up going because he he has the injury, the hip injury there. They took him off, and again, it's just one of these things. And I I know that some books like, well, you know, they have the openers now and all this other nonsense. Uh, you know that Kevin Cash likes to do, and Joe Madden used to like to do. And it's like, man, I just you, you got to be able to list the pitchers. And I know that there are, there are a lot of properties out there that were I, I not want, allowing that. And that that drove me nuts. Yeah. No, I want guests. I mean, you don't have to, of course, and if there's a pitching change, but. A lot of times, guests will base their straight bet, parlays, whatever, you know, uh, based on who the pitchers are. So, uh, you know, I I want them to be able to do that. And we've had internal discussions about this, Jay and I, and we think it's an important um, kind of option to continue to give the guests you know, their choice, again, list one pitcher, both pitchers, or just a bet action on the game. But uh, that's not going to change with us. You got it. All right, Chuck, appreciate the time as always, my friend. Really do appreciate it. All right, TC. Good seeing you over the weekend as well, and uh, look forward to chatting with you again later in the week. You got it, brother. There you go. Appreciate you. There he is, Chuck Esposito over Red Rock. Get on over there. Fantastic property. All the Station Casino properties. Outstanding. Yeah, so the the no-hitter where the, the Reds – Combine for the no-no. Again, that was the um, 
First time since 2008 that's happened. And just so you know, that does not count in the record book as a no-hitter because the rule states that you must go nine innings. And because the Pirates were the home team, the Pirates never batted in the bottom of the ninth. So it was eight no-hit innings for the Reds. So therefore, the Pirates you know, were leading one nothing at the end of eight and a half. So no no-hitter goes in the books for them. In Pittsburgh, the Pirates become the sixth team in Major League Baseball history to be no-hit and still win. How about that? There you go. All right. Yeah. Got no hits in one since 1901, that Pirates game. Dodgers back in 08, the one I mentioned against the Angels. Cleveland in 92 against the Red Sox. White Sox back in 1990 against the Yankees. Tigers, 1967 against the Baltimore Orioles and the Reds uh, against the Astros in 1964. Or I believe they were the Colt 45s could be in 1964. How about that one? Appreciate Chuck Esposito joining us today. Gary Lawless, Vegas Golden Knights insider. The big seven-footer, big Bill Cartwright, the five-time NBA champ. Three as a player, two as a coach. I appreciate him and everybody for joining us here on this Monday edition. Great stuff. Hope everyone had a great weekend. No basketball tonight. No hockey tonight. But all that happens again tomorrow. So you got some Major League Baseball tonight. So check all that out. Check out the website, tcmartinshow.com, for all of the great interviews we have up there. The blogs, it's up there. Featured interview up there right now, seven-footer. And uh, others as well, too. Check out our Las Vegas Aces coverage as well, too. And they'll be back in action tomorrow night. Jackie Young just signed a contract extension for the Aces, the number one overall pick going back to 2019. So... Uh, Jackie Young will be my guest on the pregame show along with Becky Hammond, the Aces coach. And she joins me each and every pregame show. And listen, uh, a few notches down the dial, AM 1100 and ESPN uh, Las Vegas, 100.9 FM tomorrow night, 630 for the pregame show, 7 o'clock tip-off. All right, we'll catch you right here at 2 o'clock tomorrow.